Everyone to take your seats as we begin scripture reading. This morning's scripture comes from various Proverbs. Uh, They'll be up on the screen uh, to help you. We'll start with Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Proverbs 1, 8, 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. 13.24 Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And lastly, 22.6 Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know why, but, you know, it's one of the things you never do is really tell people how to raise their kids. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so here I am this morning, I'm going to be telling you how to raise your kids, and so... For some reason, that feels a bit awkward, uh, but I hope it'll be good. And I hope that I'm drawing the principles from God's Word, because that's what we all need for parenting. Just this week, I was reading Time Magazine, as I regularly do, and on the back, there was an interview with a well-known Christian author and blogger who summed up their family's Christian parenting philosophy this way, lighten up it's probably going to be okay. Now look, I won't say that that's horrible advice because I've been a parent for a long time and at some point along the way you realize there are limits to what you can do as a parent and you understand that admitting those limits sometimes is one of the most helpful, even godly, wise responses that you can have. And all parents will ultimately learn to trust God regarding their children, or go mad, right? And one of the hardest lessons we learn as parents is that we are not owners of our kids. They're not ours, really. They belong to God, and He's made us a steward. And yet it has, by itself, this idea, lighten up, everything is going to be okay. It has a way, I think, of diminishing the enormous significance that God, the Creator, has embedded into the parenting task and the absolute vital role parents play in shaping not only their own children, but in many ways shaping the trajectory of society. Parenting is significant and valuable because God has designed it to be the primary and principal tool for shaping the human soul. You can see how enormous this is. What a wonderful privilege and responsibility. And we can see this throughout Scripture. And I think it's evidenced by the existence of the book of Proverbs. 
an entire book whose purpose in large part is to train children in the way of wisdom. And that's why we began with Proverbs 14.12. There is a way that seems right to people. There is a way that seems right to our natural inclinations. But the end, its end, is the way of death. Over and over in the book of Proverbs, there are two ways presented. The right way and the wrong way. The way of wisdom and the way of folly. The way of life and the way that leads to death. Life seems to be one endless fork in the road, doesn't it? It's not like you make one decision and you get a year off. But you're constantly making decisions. And it is our daily decisions. And we should be teaching our kids this. It is our daily decisions, maybe more than the great big ones. Sort of like compound interest that add up to make us who we are as people. And so our task as parents is to prepare our children for all those forks that are coming. All those decisions. Our task is to help them to avoid the path that leads to death and choose the path that leads to life. Now in saying that, most parents, Christian or not, want their children to make wise choices. They want their children to be successful. But what distinguishes Christian parenting is very simple. God. It's God. And our big idea this morning is this. The purpose of parenting, or we could say the purpose of Christian parenting, is to train our children to recognize God's authority and understand His grace so that they can respond rightly to Him In all of life. Paul David Tripp writes in his book on parenting. You could argue that the chief reason God put parents in children's lives is so they would know him. The most important thing a child could learn about is the existence, character, and plan of God. If you know this fact, it will alter the way you understand and interpret every other fact in your life. Life And so the purpose of parenting is to train our children to recognize God's authority over their life, understand His grace so that they can respond rightly to Him in all of life. And of course, with that purpose in view, the question for parents becomes, how? How do I do that? Well, I'm going to put forth that it's achieved through training. And I think that this training can be broken up into three distinct categories or components that are present in the book of Proverbs and are evidenced by the passages that we read this morning. And the first element to this is instruction. We instruct our children. We teach them the way. Now, Teaching and training are often thought of as the same thing. And that's why I'm using the word instruct here as a main point to highlight a more narrow aspect of our task as parents. Hopefully we understand that if we're going to teach anything as parents, that God is the subject matter and our textbook is the Bible. Remember, God is what sets Christian parenting apart from just parenting. 
And our goal can be found in our big idea. We want to help our kids become conscious of God's existence, his character, and his authority. And we want to couple that with the message, with the gospel of God's grace through Jesus Christ. And so our instruction begins by teaching the law or the commandments. Now, I wrestle with whether it would be better at this point to say theology, but everything I'm going to say about teaching is theology, something about God. And I decided that saying we teach them the law helps us make an important distinction. By law, I mean the essential truth about God himself, his holiness, his character, who he is, and what he expects of us, his creation. Every Christian parent needs to teach these things. And I think for many of us, that can be very daunting. I'm not a theologian. I'm not good at teaching anything, many parents say. Now, I don't have a lot of time this morning to lay out a comprehensive teaching method, but let me just say this. I think we just started the catechism back in June. I think this is where the catechism is such a helpful tool for you as a parent. If you're not using it, let me encourage you to use it. I know a number of our parents are using it. So your gift may not be the teaching department. And generally, in these kind of contexts, it's someone who is a teacher who stands up and says, teach your kids, it's easy, right? And you're like, no, it's not easy. I can say, as someone who has somewhat of a teaching gift, when it comes to teaching my own kids, it was hard, you know? It's like, even if you have the gift when it's your kids, wow, wow. I just think the catechism is a wonderful way to sit down with your kids five minutes a day, maybe at the dinner table. And when you look at the questions that are here, it can be done regularly, it can be done systematically, it can be done thoughtfully, and it doesn't take a lot of preparation. I want you to see the practical nature of this. I think it's a great place to start. And I think the questions are written in such a way to offer a somewhat, 52 questions, a somewhat comprehensive understanding of God, man, sin, redemption in Christ, the church, and the restoration of all things in the kingdom of God to come. And what you will find, I think, is the foundation that the catechism lays for your children addresses topics even of great relevance today. I'm going to go out on a limb here. One of the biggest challenges facing the church and Christians, especially in the West right now, is gender. How do you teach your kids God's fixed truth on gender in a world that promotes fluidity? How is that possible? Right? Well, it starts in Genesis 1. And it can be found in question four in the New City Catechism that we're using. How and why did God create us? Answer, God created us, male and female, in His own image to know Him, love Him, live with Him, and glorify Him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live for His glory. Or we could say to our kids, it's right for those who are made in His image to live according to His design. This has to be the starting point for talking to our kids about gender. It's not a man-made 
construct that can be changed as we feel necessary or desirable. It is a reality fixed by our Creator God. Of course, the question will then be at some point, your children will probably ask something like this, well, if it's fixed, then why is everybody questioning it? Why does our culture see it as open? And to answer that, I think we find a second critical aspect in instructing our children. We teach them about God, His character, His ways, His commands, and then we teach them about humanity's fall and sin. The law teaches us God's holy nature and His will, and it teaches about our sinful nature and the disobedience of our own hearts. So we teach our kids that since the fall, And Adam and Eve's rebellion, every person, including them, including dad, including mom, believe it or not, have sinned, have failed to live God's way. All have sinned and fall short. All have sinned and fall short of God's holy standard. No one can keep God's law perfectly, nor do they want to. All of us Break it consistently in thought, word, and deed. We teach our kids, there's a way that seems right to you, that feels right, that goes along with everything you're wanting and desiring. But in the end, it leads to death because it contradicts God's holy will. Now, looking back at the issue of gender, We must teach our kids that while this is, of course, and it is a topic of immense importance and societal significance, it's huge. And the church is rapidly shifting as they try and handle it. It's part of man's larger rebellion against God himself. Something we share in common, this rebellion against God and His ways with everyone around us. I'm not suggesting you start with gender, but as you teach your kids about God and His law and humanity and our rebellion, I hope you see that the goal is not some kind of smug self-righteousness, but a realization of the beauty of God's ways, our own struggle to obey And then I think it points us to something very important that we need to teach our kids. The gospel of grace. At some point, our kids are going to find out that they are sinners. That despite many years of Sunday school and catechism even, believe it or not, they're going to realize they don't always want to do things God's way. They're going to feel the tension. Oh, yes, they are. Every one of us has felt that tension. They're going to feel the pull of worldliness. I've felt it. Honestly, I still feel it to this day. And the forks eventually won't be proverbial, but they will be pivotal. All of this has to happen. In fact, you know what? We want it to happen. So along the way, we teach them the law, we show them God's character, and we explain them man's sin, and then we point them to God's grace. We tell them that the law by itself can't bring about a right heart toward God. We read Romans 8 to them, 
And we tell them that God did in sending Jesus Christ to this earth to live a perfect life and die for our sins. God did what the law, because our flesh was so weak, God did. He turned our life around. He made it possible for us to be a people eager to do his will. Our church has a mission statement. And that mission is to make gospel-centered disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and live for others in community. And that gospel-centered piece is so critical. I can't love God, and I certainly can't love you for any extended period of time apart from grace, apart from God at work in my life. As parents, we need to consistently and faithfully teach the gospel of grace to our children. And we ourselves need to walk in it. I've used gender because the whole debate as it's being forced upon us is shaking many Christian churches. It presents an enormous challenge to parents. I think each generation of parents, and I'm in a a generation that's done with the parenting task, always says, Man, I'm glad I'm not parenting right now. You know how that is? It's like, boy, I know my parents said that to me. Man, I don't know how you guys are doing it, you know. I think we we teach our children to understand the issue as part of humanity's rebellion against God and the effects of sin on humanity. And then we teach them that the gospel instead of becoming a word only to condemn, it will condemn at some point if it's fully rejected, but instead of becoming a condemning word, it becomes the only real hope for anyone. Whether they struggle with gender issues or any other issue in their life. The gospel is the only real hope for finding wholeness and joy in this life. So those of us who believe in the fall ought not to be shocked when we experience its effect in society. If sin was so great that it required Christ's death on a cross, it shouldn't shock us that the sins we see playing out in society are, are large and encompassing. And those of us who believe in the gospel shouldn't doubt the gospel's power to bring about real change in real lives. And I think that's what's scaring the church more than anything. Is the gospel true? Can it transform anyone? We all know what the Bible says. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. And so we must constantly hold the gospel, the coming of the Son of God to live and die and rise again to provide forgiveness and healing and wholeness for our sin and restore and resurrect our lives and eventually restore and resurrect all humanity and give true purpose and meaning to those who trust in Him. I really believe it's the most compelling story, the most compelling news that anyone could ever hear. That is what we teach our children over and over in many different ways. That's how we instruct them. The purpose of parenting is to train our children to recognize God's authority and understand His grace so that they can respond rightly to Him 
in all of life. And we do it by instructing and we do it through discipline. We discipline. We correct our children when they turn from the way. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And again, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, Folly or foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Developing in your children an understanding of God's law and a respect for authority, I think, is one of the essential goals of parenting. I believe that it sets your children up for flourishing. And I also believe it requires discipline. They must learn to obey the rules that have been put into place. So if the first point is we instruct, that had a classroom feel to it, this point is the lab. All right? It takes teaching and it applies it to real life situations. And we could sum it up this way. Our decisions and actions have consequences, right? Everyone lives by that. Our decisions and actions have consequences. If we choose to disobey, things will not go well for us. But what does it mean for parents to discipline their children. I feel like this is just a stage full of eggs. And I'm trying to walk on them without breaking anything. So let's get the cat out of the bag. Let's get the eggs off the stage. What is meant by rod? Is Proverbs teaching corporal punishment? Spanking? Am I even allowed to say that up here? Well, we'll find out soon enough. I know, I know in our day this is a, a sensitive area. But I honestly don't know how it could be understood any other way, scripturally. Look, I know it's at odds with the current state of things in our culture. I understand the dilemma. But I think it requires just a little explanation here. So let me just give some, some categories here. First, yes, I'm affirming physical punishment in some way. I think you get that. But by affirming the use of physical punishment, I do not believe that Scripture in any way, not even close, is condoning physical abuse. Nor do I think it has a harsh, angry exchange between parent and child in mind. Nor do I think it has an arbitrary, inconsistent, cruel, or cold exchange in mind. I mean, we can see it in the text. Love is obviously the motivation here for discipline. The child's good, not the parent's convenience, is what is in mind. And the consistent, thoughtful, predictable exercise of its use is what is in view here. Looking at Proverbs on this topic, God's Word tells us that if I as a parent withhold discipline, it is actually an act of hatred toward my child. 
Whoever spares the rod hates his son. And because of that, I feel a sense of obligation to raise the question of whether God is specifically commanding spanking as his will for us in training our children. I think there's some wiggle room. Let's be clear, discipline. Understand this, discipline, however it's thought of, in order to be effective, must be painful. There must be significant consequences. In fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us that God, as our Father, disciplines us because He loves us. And then he goes on to say that this discipline that God administers to His children, however that's given, is painful. You can't get around it. And he goes on to explain that this loving discipline, which is painful from God, works in us wonderful things. It's for our good. So we might define discipline regarding our children as a painful consequence that teaches them to obey the rules or the laws that God and those God has placed over them have established. Your kids need to learn to respect authority. This is not meant as an indictment of anyone here, but if you've taught Sunday school or if you were in Sunday school when I was a kid 50 years ago, you will notice that there is a difference in the way that kids respect authority. It's clear. No mystery here. So it's something that is painful. We need them to respect authority. God's first, but also for those God has placed over them. So we instruct them and we teach them the way. We tell them what it looks like to live in our household how they are to behave and obey mom and dad, and when they clearly disobey, we discipline. Correction, when they stray from the path, is an essential tool of parenting. Don't miss it, however you decide to do it. I don't want to spend too much time on this, and I certainly don't want to dig a hole deeper than I've already dug, all right? But let me say a little bit more, and then let me try and find an escape route. Spanking without affection, spanking in anger is wrong. It is. And I do worry about abuse. But I also think it is the easiest and most effective way to correct and train young children. Under a certain age, it can be highly effective and requires very little effort There's no great struggle of will with a three-year-old. Or there shouldn't be. I look back at an old commentary I have on the book of Proverbs from the 1840s. From Charles Bridges, a Princeton theologian before its liberal turn in the early 1900s. And I love what he writes here because I witnessed this in my own parenting. The great secret is, he writes, in response to the Proverbs 13.24, the great secret is to establish authority in the dawn of life. To bend the tender twig before the knotty oak is beyond our power. A child trained early by parental discipline will probably preserve the wholesome influence to the end of life. But fearful indeed is the difficulty when the child has been the early master to begin chastening when the habit of disobedience is formed 
and hardened. I think discipline, however you decide to do it, but you must decide to discipline, right? Should be carried out early and often. It should be consistently given with affection. And when it is, it is actually a great act of love. And it is a wonderful gift to our children. A gift to our kids. That will impact their entire life. So much to say, so little time. But the purpose of parenting is to train. To train our children to recognize God's authority understand His grace so they can respond rightly to Him in all of life. And discipline is part of God's means for us as parents to fulfill this. So we instruct, we discipline thoughtfully, and we model. We model it. We show our children the way. We don't just tell them, here's the way, and here's what happens when you don't go the right way, pain. But let me show you how to walk in the way. I think the other two fall flat, miserably fat, flat, not fat. <laughs> Maybe even become dangerous if the third component of modeling is missing. If they don't see an interest in us for the things of God, if they don't see in us a passion for obedience to God and His ways, if they don't see a love in us for God's word, a heart for God's people, a love for his church. If on Sunday morning you're like, oh, shoot, it's Sunday. Bummer, you know? I mean, what message is that sending? It happens, you know. It happens to me sometimes, not teasing. <laughs> I got to preach this morning, shoot! Uh. No, but if they see that, what, what is their response going to be when they're 12? Okay, time to go to church. Oh, shoot, bummer, I don't want to go to church. Tad, let's stay home. If they don't see humility in your life, if they don't see regular repentance, then all our teaching will just be nothing. Look, they're watching you, and they know every time you fail, or most every time you fail, they see it, but if they see coupled with that failure, which is just how life unfolds itself, if they see repentance and change and growth, come on. I mean, throughout the book of Proverbs, the dad's moral authority, if that's the right way to put it, his influence is found in his own life. I paid attention to what my parents said, and it, it brought me... and. However we wanted to define the word success, and that'll come through to us more as we move through the series. But it brought good into my life. I've walked this out myself, son, and I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me in yielding your life to God. Modeling becomes a great, great tool for training our children. Fabulous tool. Think about it. The Apostle Paul, he thought of himself as a spiritual father of the churches he planted. And one of the things he regularly told the congregations, his children, was this. Imitate me. Imitate me. Follow me. Do what I do. Watch me and duplicate it. Paul knew he was a sinner. At one point, 
to Timothy, said, I am the chief of sinners. He knew that he was not walking perfectly, but he knew that if they followed his example, they would be heading in the right direction. You make a mockery. You don't want to hear this, but you make a mockery of the faith if you teach your children the things of God, but you don't live it. You make a mockery of it. Model it to your children. Show them what it looks like to love God, to struggle with sin, to repent, to grow, to change. The purpose of parenting is to train, and everything you do as a parent is training. It's training your children to recognize God's authority, It's training their understanding of what grace really is. And it's equipping them, either rightly or wrongly, on how to respond to God. Wow. It's a high responsibility, isn't it? God has given immense importance in the way that He set up His universe, and we have seen the significance of our role as we instruct as we discipline, as we model our children in the ways of God and the power of His grace. There's one final point I want to make that every parent has to learn. You must learn it. And while this doesn't fit in the instruct, discipline, model rubric, it informs and shapes our hearts as we train our children. So we instruct them about God's ways, We discipline them when they stray from the path and we model humble, growing obedience and love for God in our own lives and then we trust. We have to trust. God is not asking us as parents to produce fully developed, well-rounded, perfectly formed, mature Christians at let's pick an arbitrary age like 18. Here they are. Perfect. Wow. Not even close. Have you looked in the mirror lately? Wow, did your parents mess up, right? (laughs) I mean, I've had that thought many times. Wow. Now, I'm reluctant to share this story because you might think that I'm trying to brag or might take it the wrong way, but I think it illustrates a very important point for us. One time when my girls were in their early 20s, one of them, as we were having a family discussion, probably about boys or something, I can't remember the exact context, but one of them said, I wish I could marry a guy just like you, Dad, but there aren't any. And of course, I was extremely flattered. But again, I'm not saying it to brag, I'm saying it to make an important point, because I went on to tell them that their mother, Tina, my wife, she didn't marry a guy like me either. In fact, I went on to mention many of the struggles that we had in our early days of marriage and the difficulties we faced. And this is honest. Anytime I talk about our difficulties, it usually ends up being something about me, something negative about me, because my pride and my insecurities and my immaturity produced often anger in me and frustration And a lot of just unhealthy things. And I could go on and on about my shortcomings. What were my girls seeing? Is that what you're wondering? 
they were seeing the effect of 30 years of God's grace at work in a person's life. And whoever they were going to marry, unless they were way older than I was going to approve of, (laughs) they just weren't going to be there. In fact, marriage is one of the things that God used significantly, and Tina significantly, to bring about the change in my life. I didn't tell them at that time, but having kids brought about a lot of change too. (laughs) I think communicating that to our children gives them, and it gives us a big sense of hope. Because they are not totally ready to face the world at 18. They are not fully equipped to face the freedom that they are about to have in adulthood. They don't even know what worldliness feels like, even though they think they totally know. They don't. They're not prepared, really. They're not fully ready for anything, just like we weren't. We know it. They kind of know it. So if we're expecting our 20 or 25-year-old to walk with a level of maturity that we only achieved in our late 40s or early 50s or 60s after a lifetime of God's work, we'll be disappointed. And you know what? They'll feel pressure from us. And they'll feel condemned by us. I think it's good just to see this way, parenting this way, as foundational. We just build a foundation. We just lay a few bricks. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Trusting God is a big part. It is a huge part of what God is calling you to as a parent. We must be faithful to train. We must be faithful to instruct, discipline, and model. And then we must place them in God's hands. We have to do it. I don't care how successful you think you've been. You have to do it. At some point, I'd like to preach a message to those of you whose children have already grown up. And maybe it didn't work out the way you would hope for. Maybe every time you hear a message like this, you think, I wish I could just turn the dial back and do it over again. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. Don't let guilt or embarrassment or disappointment mark your relationship with your adult children Right now. Guilt because you know you fell short. Haven't we all, right? Embarrassment because, well, they're not following Jesus or don't seem to have a relationship with God or they aren't attending church or they've outright rejected Christ. Or disappointment. Maybe because they just, their life hasn't turned out like you wanted for them. Your dream for their life hasn't materialized and they don't even think to... They want your dream for their life. Not to dismiss genuine love and concern, but when we make parenting at any stage a referendum on us and our dreams or our parenting, and that is way easier than anyone will admit, when we make it about us and what we want for our children, We drive a wedge in the relationship between us and our adult children. We create a difficult situation for them and for ourselves and their relationship with us. And our ongoing influence 
crumbles. Let me encourage you, just like God has worked in your life as an adult, with many of you not even coming to faith till your late 20s, early 30s, some even beyond that. And I really believe this. I have a daughter right now who's struggling with her faith. We talk, but she's struggling. I really believe this. There's plenty of time for your child to turn or return to Christ. Plenty of time. Plenty of time for God to work in their life. Still so many reasons for hope. And I know that this is the prayer of many whose children are not currently walking in the faith. And we join you in those prayers. You know I do. God is not through with me. He's not through with you. And He is not through with your children. And I want to encourage you. Though you may not be instructing and disciplining them now, of course, you will always be modeling. Your modeling days are still running strong and true. Last year, as my dad's health began to fail, I was watching him, right? I was watching him. He was showing me what it looks like to die in Christ. I wanted to see it. I needed to see it. No one that close to me had I ever been that close to while they were fading. He was showing me so much of what it looks like to trust God to life's end. So keep modeling a humble heart. Keep modeling change and growth. Keep modeling repentance and godliness. And keep praying that God will work in their hearts. I've gone too long. It's a big topic. Please forgive me. The purpose of parenting, remember, is to train our children to recognize God's authority, understand His grace so they can respond rightly to Him in all of life. I think I could go on for a lot longer. Those of you who are right in the task now, parenting. We have a parenting panel that's going to happen October 21st, Saturday morning. Just want you to know that's on our schedule and that'd be a great time to come to listen to some parents and to ask questions and interact with one another on parenting. So I want to encourage you in that. I also want to recommend a book to you, a couple of books to you right quick. We give all the parents who dedicate their children a book, and right now we're recommending Parenting by Paul David Tripp. Read it. It's an easy read, a quick read. I recommend it for everyone who has a child. And then books on the New City Catechism that we're using. Really helpful. You know, maybe you just start out doing this, which is just the catechism. This is a devotional that you could use with your older kids. Lots of wonderful resources for you. Will you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for your grace on this congregation. And I pray, Lord, that your grace would be felt by every parent here this morning. That for those who are in the middle of the task, that you would give them renewed energy for what you've called them to, a renewed sense of purpose and direction. I pray for our couples, husbands and wives, that there would, be a, there would be a sense of unity and purpose and direction. I pray for those of us who are done, 
that you would continue to fill us with hope for our children and our grandchildren. Lord, we lift up all of our children, our grandchildren, and say, Lord, we want them to be a part of the kingdom. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would move on them and in them and through others to draw them either back or to yourselves. Lord, be at work in our families, I pray. Amen.